This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, what's up? Rick, I don't know if you remember, but you know, last week we liked Xander Shoffley, of course. And after the show, you might not remember this, but I said, and I quote, the only way he's going to win gold is if he holds off Rory Sabatini and CT Pan. And boom, here we are. That's right. Did we get that? We might have just stopped recording, I think, yeah, before you I said have gotten that. that on. Yeah. Yeah. That's Jacob's fault. Producer Jacob. She always keep it running. So that- he said that. And we I definitely was not recording. But yes. I mean, he, he actually had the trifecta. Yeah. We always give out our, our 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 trifectas as soon as the mic uh the mics go off. So unfortunately we missed out on that one. But see, did you did you enjoy the Olympic games? We got uh I th- I think plenty of action, plenty of intrigue. Am I wrong there? Not at all. I, I first of all, the bro- the way it was broadcast, I thought was great for one. And uh I, I thought it was great. I mean, especially, you know, it's interesting because we're we're on a DFS show. And so from a DFS perspective, it's really interesting how things can really fluctuate from day to day, you know, because normally it's post Friday and you kind of know, you know, once Saturday and Sunday roll around sort of where you stand among the group, but really things changed. And it was for me, I didn't have a great week necessarily, but Sunday really helped me. So it's just one of those things where it's very rare that, that those that you can be sort of out of it and then right back in it on a Sunday. Not to derail us completely, because I'm sure everyone loves a good bad beat story, but I stone bubbled the 200 single entry. You know, that's my favorite tournament. Mm-hmm. I stone bubbled it. I had three guys in the in the third place playoff. So three out of seven, but CT Pan won. So I guess because all I was I was cashing, but I guess because all of those guys dropped to fourth place points, I f- literally stone bubbled the thing. Yeah, Rick, so I stone annoying. I stone bubbled it at the 3M. <laughs> Seriously, like right the the last guy out or the first guy out was me at the 3M open in that same exact tournament. Because I was thinking, oh, it doesn't. I was like, okay, well, I've got three of the seven guys in here. As long as one of them wins it, I'm fine. And then CT Pan won. And I was thinking, okay, well, probably nobody has CT Pan, so that's fine. But I lost all those third place points from my three guys, which yeah. I was not. Dang it. Get them next yeah. time. Uh, and that next time is this week. It is Memphis, Tennessee. It is the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, maybe the second longest PGA tournament name behind the Corrales Punta Gana Resort and Club Championship. And Sia, if you like short field, no cut events with some of the top players in the world and some scrubs in the 300s of the official world golf rankings, boy, do I have an event for you. Well, I'm in luck because I do like those. And, you know, it's interesting because it's a nice contrast from last week because, yes, last week was a no-cut event, but 
Also last week in that bottom end range, you, you really, it was kind of a hope and a prayer with a, a lot of those guys. I mean, if you recall, I was, I was even repping, you know, Raphael Campos just to jam a guy in there, but we don't really have the Raphael Campos, no offense to him, but we don't really have that in this field. We have a lot of guys in that low 6k range that you can play and maybe feel a little bit more comfortable with a stars and scrubs approach. If you decide to go that route. Yeah, I'm going to share my screen here. This is everything you see will come from my website. It's rickrungood.com. This is the course key stats tool. And TPC Southwind here, Sia, is it's it's a normal course that we see all the time. It's it's a regular course on the PGA Tour schedule, but there is a little bit of difference, and I think we have to kind of talk through this. So it's been on the schedule for a long time with what was used. It used to be called the FedEx St. Jude Classic. That was a full field event, one that Daniel Berger won twice, back-to-back years. But two years ago, Go, it was elevated to the WGC status, took the place of the WGC Bridgestone, and this will be the third year of the short field no-cut event. So when you're looking at history, you kind of have to be aware of both of those things. Right. No, I totally agree. And it's it, well, it's one of those things, though, where it, it has, and Rick, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has been on the same course, though, even though yes. the names have changed. So yes. Another thing to keep in mind there, but I, I do understand what you're saying about the the sort of the invitational WGC status of it. That makes it a little bit different, yeah. And there is a difference between tournament history and course history because they've used this course every year. But if you look at tournament history and you look three years ago, that was the Bridgestone, which was not being held on this course. So just make sure you're paying attention to all of that. It is a par 70, 7,200 yards and it's Bermuda grass greens. And the thing that I thought was most notable, I mean, there's a couple of things. It's a, it's a good little course. I like this course a lot. Um, the most notable thing is that they have smaller than average greens, 4,300 square feet on average. See that skews pretty small on the PGA tour. There's probably only a handful of courses that have smaller greens than this. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, and, and also there's, there's some water hazards on the course, which Rick, you tell me, but that makes me kind of want to default to, and, and it's so easy for me to say, but default to ball strikers. I mean, if you can get a guy that's going to get it on the green as De- default to ball strikers will be the title of my autobiography. Biography. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I guess th- th- there truly is a trade-off, though, right? Because sometimes when you're doing that, you you are limiting yourself with, with some of the guys that can really kind of get after it. That that may have like that sort of cam champ type upside. So a, a guy I'm not going to be playing this week. So I think that's sort of what I'm leaning on. I, the small greens is a factor. The water hazards are a factor. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I personally, I'm not going to weigh off the tee too much. I know that's somewhat correlated depending on what you're looking at. Um, approach yeah. long irons. That's definitely something I'm going to be looking at. And, uh, you know, Bermuda greens too. I, I think there's a lot of Bermuda guy, Bermuda positive guys out here, which you can see right on this course key stats page. And it happens to be a lot of guys that I like. So it'll certainly sort of fit that narrative to play those guys. Mm, okay. We could talk about some of those guys. Yeah. The, the best, uh, Bermuda specialist. So this is, you take your average strokes gain putting you then, uh, you know, isolate each grass type. Sung JM is the best of guys with a sam- with a decent sample size. Carlos Ortiz is second. Um, notables who are making the trek back, Sia, because this is going to be another storyline. And because producer Jacob so uh, perfectly listed them out for me, here they are. Here are the guys coming from Tokyo to Memphis. Paul Casey and Tommy Fleetwood. Corey Connors, Victor Hovland, Sung J.M. and Siwoo Kim. Mark Leishman, Cam Smith. All four of the American players. That's Xander Morikawa, Reed, Justin Thomas, Hideki, Joaquin Neiman and Abraham Answer are all making the trek back. 
do we care? Are we downgrading them? Are we upgrading them because they're going back in time? What are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) They are going back in time, technically. That's true. Uh, I don't know that it's a huge difference. I do like the fact that they're gaining 13 hours or so. I mean, I guess that matters. But no, I don't think it's a huge deal. I mean, it just so happens most of the guys on that list, I'm probably not going to be playing. But with that said, there are some guys that I will be playing that we'll talk about later. I like Corey Connors. I like Xander. I like Morikawa. Uh, I like Abraham answer a little bit too. Other than that though, I don't think I'm going to be on a lot of these guys. So it, to the extent that's even narrative, it's not really going to affect me too much. Cause there's only a, a handful that I'm picking out of that pile. If you will. All right, let's pop over to the cheat sheet here. And there are six golfers over $10,000. Finally, Colin Morikawa continuing to get the respect that he deserves. He is a flat $11,000. He is the most expensive golfer on the slate. Our latest gold medalist, Xander Shoffley, is $10,800, followed by Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth with Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy rounding out the $10,000 range. My first observation, Sia, is that Colin Morikawa, even though he is the most expensive golfer on the slate, $11,000, that's not so bad. Like, like we have routinely seen the most expensive golfer on the slate be more expensive than that. I don't even know what to say about this guy. He's so, like, he didn't even play that well last, you know, last week, and, and he was still contending for a medal. He rates out so well, yet again. I mean, week to week, it's it's always going to be that for Colin Morikawa. The ball striking is there. The long irons, I'm talking, you know, 150 to 200. Th- th- that's all there. He hits fairways. Uh, if you're looking at par fours, 450 to 500, which will be somewhat important. If you if you, if you you care to look at that stat, you know, we, we will have a lot of par, par fours in that range. And, you know, lo and behold, he's number one there too. So I agree with you. The only way you'd get off of Colin is if you – if you didn't want to pay that price or if you just hate the fact that he was, you know, playing in the Olympics last week and it might just be too much, but I like him. He, for the first time in a long time, lost strokes on approach in Tokyo. So they did have strokes gain data hat tip to the Olympics. They had the strokes gain data. I loaded it in. He lost a stroke and a half. That's what you're referring to, right? When you're like, he didn't play all that well. He also like, he was bad in a category that he is usually the best at and still finished fourth. That's where we're at now with Colin Morikow. You give him four rounds, you let him play in a short field event. He's, I mean, it's, it's, I'm running out of superlatives at this point. Yeah. And the only difference here is that obviously that there, there is in the top 20 here, it's a little different than the, the top 20 talent sure. in the field last week. But that does, I mean, all of, all of that top 20 is sort of under Colin Morikawa. I mean, it's interesting that he gained almost four strokes putting last week. But you could say that his strokes gained approach was off by like probably like six or seven strokes on a good Colin Morikawa week. So even if you zeroed out that putter, you know, he's still killing it on a normal approach tournament. So I like Colin a lot and, and I'm definitely going to be playing him. Okay, so the rest of this 10K range, um, I've I've zeroed in on Brooks and Spieth. I can talk about those in a second. I have questions about uh, Dustin Johnson, of course, Xander Shoffley. I never seem to get correct. And Rory McIlroy rounds out the rest of this range. Who else is going to be moving the needle for you? Brooks Kepka. So I like Xander. That's why I hesitated because because I do like Xander. I'm not going to fall into the narrative. Well, he just won last week, but you know, Z- Xander. I've never really been. I was big on him last week, but I haven't really been big on him consistently. And so it's very easy for me to pivot off of him. So I do like Brooks Kepka. I mean, speaking of ball striking, I mean, I mean, look at this guy. It's the the ball striking is there. It's it, it's just one of those things with Brooks where. 
I, I don't see, and, and especially now that we're heading towards the, the FedEx Cup tournament, you know, or, or the, the, you know, the final 125, I just think Brooks is primed to, to really start getting things under control. He seems to be getting healthier all the time, seems to be back in Brooksy mode. I mean, three consecutive top six finishes, two of them at major championships. You had in the PGA championship where he finished runner up there. There's there's certainly nothing uh, to dislike about Brooks Kepka, but I'm a bit partial. I love both these guys, but I'm a bit partial with Jordan Spieth. And I think the thing that we have forgotten about Spieth or that is not getting talked about enough is his driver. Because he's one of the best approach players on tour right now, or at least has been in 2021. His his short game magic is back. But look at this. Every single event since the Players' Championship, nine in a row, he's gained strokes off the TCA. And when you compare that to what he did from the Memorial in 2020 to Phoenix of this year, not a single event did he gain strokes off the tee. I mean, there has been a, a, a real substantial change with him off the tee that is keeping him in play, and then he can use the rest of the magic, the speed magic. So this, to me, is a really special um, a really special set of results, and I think he's doing some really good stuff here. Yeah, I totally agree. If I have to pick between Brooks Kepka and Jordan Spieth, for me, it's going to be Brooks Kepka. but we're talking about really small margins here. The thing I really love about Brooks Kepka, we, we know the putter is volatile with him, but we know it can get hot. But yeah. if you look at the last four tournaments, three of them, Brooks has gained over eight strokes ball striking. That is just like really amazing to me. And it, it, again, it, it's a guy that I almost feel like Brooks is like still like a little bit under the radar. Maybe Jordan Spieth is too, because recently he hasn't really been up there as much as people expect. But I like both of those guys, but Brooks is going to be the guy for me behind Colin. So that leaves us with two golfers at the bottom of the $10,000 range. Rory McIlroy and even $10,000. I've got no problem with, with deploying Rory here. He was in that seven-for-one playoff for the bronze medal. He finished seventh at the U.S. Open. He made the cut at the Open Championship in between those starts. I'm okay with that. The, the, the big question marks lie with Dustin Johnson, who has missed the cut in his last two major championships, right? Or, or I'm sorry, no, he missed the cut at the PGA Championship, missed the cut at the Masters, played well at the Open Championship, but then missed the cut at the 3M. And now we just continue to question what the heck is going on with Dustin Johnson. It's And it's a, it remains a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. So again, we are starting to, you know, gear down or gear up, however you want to put it, towards the end of the season. And this would be the time, in theory, for Dustin Johnson to really start picking up his game and start chasing some of those huge dollars that, that are before him. I, I just... I don't know that, again, you brought up Rory and DJ at the same time. <laughs> I, I feel like I like Rory a little bit better. I agree that DJ might seem a little bit more sneaky, and therefore he might be a little less owned if you want to go that route. But, you know, what's interesting about Rory last week, watching him, there were times I thought he was really good, and there were times where I thought he was really bad, especially on the greens. I mean, some some of these, especially in the first couple of days, he was missing some of these putts by what I thought to be a pretty wide margin for anybody, let alone Rory McIlroy. So I think, I, I kind of think Rory, I, I don't expect that from him. And I, I kind of think he's ready to really get it going. So between those two, I like Rory. I think they're both going to be relatively contrarian relative to the guys towards the top. This stretch of five events for Rory in the, in the approach category are probably his best five since the restart. I mean, he is looking like the version of Rory on approach that we saw where, remember, he was piling up all those top five finishes and he was the hottest player on earth. And then it was the player's championship and everything got shut down. And then when he came back, he was pedestrian. We're starting to see that 
again, where he gains four or five strokes on approach over the course of four days. That's really scary. I agree. He's 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 bubbling. He's he's about to boil over. I think it's it, it seems like it's coming much more than at least the advanced metrics might indicate for DJ, who I don't know seems to be all over the place. So it's interesting. We'll yeah. See. The nine thousand dollar range. Uh, this is where things get super juicy because these are a lot of really good names that uh, are cheaper than usual. And it starts with Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, and Louis Ustazen. It continues with Bryson DeChambeau, Hideki Matsuyama, and Patrick Cantlay. And then it's rounded out by Daniel Berger, Scotty Scheffler, and Paul Casey. What we- <laughs> there it is. I thank you. I didn't know if we were going to hit it or not. I had I didn't give my heads up, so I wasn't sure. See ya. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, how does this 9K rage look to you, my friend? When are we going to drop Justin Thomas below Victor Hovland and Louis Ustazen? Because oh, we, because boy. we have rightfully, I say we, DraftKings has rightfully dropped Bryson down to probably where he belongs right now, which is under below those two guys. I, I you know, I, I just don't really see it with JT. I'm not seeing the consistency at all. Yeah, I, you could say there's plenty of upside, but can't you say that about the guys that are right under him too, in, in the same exact manner when it comes to Louis and Victor Hovland? Maybe not so much Bryson, but I. I I'm not I'm not on him, which is why I go right below him to your Victor Hoblins and your Louise of the world. So it's funny you brought up Justin Thomas and, and Bryson DeChambeau because I was looking at this earlier today. Since JT's win at the players, that's that's the point where it's been like mm, hasn't been so good. So what I did is I plugged in here on my site um every date after that. So since March 15th, which was the Monday after the players championship, Justin Thomas is averaging 0.93 strokes gained per round. That is the second worst of any golfer, $9,000 or more this week. The only other guy worse is the other one you mentioned. It's Bryson DeChambeau. So these two are really, um, I don't want to say they're overpriced because you're you, you're you're paying for the upside. I presume is what you are paying for, but that does not change the fact that they have been disappointing for the last five months. Oh, Rick, that's okay. I'll say it. They're overpriced. <laughs> okay. I mean, especially Justin Thomas. I think Bryson is overpriced too, but not not egregiously so. And, and I only say it's egregious because. I, I just don't think Justin Thomas should be more than Victor Hovland or Louis Ustase. And maybe there's an yeah. argument for Louis, but uh, it's a bad argument, but at least it's an argument. But I don't think there's an argument for him being over Hovland. So I, I definitely think, listen, Justin's probably not going to be super high owned. So, I mean, even though he does carry a lot of ownership typically because of that upside you mentioned, but I, I think he will be slightly contrarian because most people will want to pivot down to Victor or Louis or pivot up to maybe Rory or, you know, DJ or Spieth. But yeah, I'm I'm not there. So that's why, you know, Victor, Louie, and then we go down to the 9,100 range. Mm-hmm. I do like Scotty Scheffler quite a bit. I mean, speaking of ball striking, we just brought up ball striking with Brooks Kepka. Well, if you want, we can take a look with Scheffler. The ball striking has been incredible, and the putter can get hot. It's the exact type of upside that I think people are envisioning with Justin Thomas, but it's that's not really reality right now. I think Scheffler has the same upside that a Justin Thomas has. Yeah, he's been he has been really impressive. Uh, the advanced metrics look good. The putter is volatile in a good way. He's piling up results. There's there's a lot to like about Scotty Scheffler. I am a, a hair partial in the bottom of that range to Patrick Cantlay. So what I did is I pulled up essentially all the results for events that have small greens, which I believe I have in here as uh, 5,000 square feet or smaller. And Patrick Cantlay has been the number one player 
in those events. And you start to look at his results and they start to get pretty scary. Here are his just last handful of results on small green events. 13th win, missed cut, third, second, 35th, 32nd, 7th, 11th, 11th, 17th, 12th, 12th, 15th, win, third. I mean, he's piling up uh, top 15 finishes and I don't know what people are going to want to do for going to want to do with him. I mean, how do you, how does this $9,000 range shake out in terms of ownership? Well, it's funny because I think Patrick Cantley is the type of guy that people initially are going to look at and say, ah, I'm not really interested in paying, playing Patrick Cantley. But as the week progresses, they're just going to look at that number 9,300 next to his name right. and look at, you know, things that you mentioned, which you can see on Rick run good, of course, and just be like, I, I, I got it. I got to jam Patrick Cantley. And so I, to your point, I think, I think Louis and Patrick Cantley and maybe Scheffler, actually Berger as well. I think all those guys are going to be popular. And what that's going to do is probably level out that popularity. So I don't think there's going to be anybody that's going to really spike in the 9K range. But I think there's going to be a lot of people here that are going to have a lot of ownership, especially those four guys I mentioned. I'm trying to see uh, who else. You know, we 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 quickly glossed over Victor Hovland. You mentioned you like him. I, I do as well. He's just He's just so darn good and it seems to have the right perspective and seems so much more mature um there are two guys in this nine thousand dollar range that we have not talked about who both finished fourth uh last week at the olympics one is Sadeki matsuyama the other is paul casey i don't know i i don't know what to do with them i, I think it's almost a plethora of riches at this point right in the 9k yeah. range there's a lot of guys that you like that you can't you can't play them all you have to draw a line somewhere and maybe i draw the line at these two yeah, I like Casey a lot better than I like Hideki. I think, you know, Hideki overall, he was good last week. But, you know, other than his huge win, he hasn't really been that consistent. And I think Paul Casey really has. And on a course like this, which is going to play pretty difficult, I, I think Casey probably has the metrics I'm looking for, particularly on approach with those, you know, irons between 150 and 200. Um, he doesn't he doesn't pepper fairways as much as I'd like, perhaps, but I think Casey at 9,000 is probably a value. I think that might be a D if he's low owned, which I don't expect him to be, but if he is, I think he's a nice pivot off guys like Cantley or Berger who I expect to have higher ownership. Yeah. I'm very intrigued with how the ownership plays out in this range because they can't all be popular, but right. I feel like they could, like I can make a case for a lot of these guys. So I'll be interested to see how that shakes out, which will probably uh, help with some decision-making as well. So we'll see. Here's what we're going to do. we got to drop down to the 8K range. We've got to get into some value on this board. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And we're back. 
$8,000 range has some very interesting names and a lot of guys that played at the Olympics last week. It starts with Tony Finau and Matt Fitzpatrick. It goes down to Corey Connors and Tommy Fleetwood. Oh, boy. Um, where do you want to start here, Sam? Well, I'll start by saying I think Fitzpatrick's probably going to be pretty popular. I think yeah. he sets up well here. His history here is obviously very good with a sixth and a fourth in the last two years. Uh, I think the I probably won't be playing much Matt Fitzpatrick. I don't think Reed is going to be popular, nor should he be, in my opinion. I might be pivoting sort of to this low 8K range. And I do think this 8K range is so interesting because – I think most of these guys have the upside to actually contend Sunday afternoon, whereas in the 7K range, you can make some arguments for sure, but maybe not as many guys. So in the 8K range, I mean, I got to say, I think Abraham Answer is right up there. I think Webb Simpson is really mm. interesting, even though the ball striking has been really poor, frankly, for quite some time for Webb. He, he did, I think it was 19th at the Open. I think he's starting to come into form. This is maybe, a this course is a little bit long for him, but I think he's a interesting play at 8500 that just screams value to me so i like him answer and connors do you ever play the game this is a game that i play a lot it's just like the ultimate buy low game because you brought up webb simpson uh he's 8500 outside of the open championship a couple of weeks ago which i'm going to throw out because major pricing is a little bit wonky this is mm -hmm. the cheapest he has been since this event two years ago, since July of 2019, he was 8,200. That was the last time he was this cheap and he finished second. Not that he's going to finish second again, but it's it's one of these opportunities to, I mean, this is floor pricing for Webb. He can't get any, he like cannot get any lower than this seemingly. Yeah. And there's a couple guys in the 7K range. Uh, one in particular, um, spoiler alert, Terrell Hatton, where his yes. price is like crazy, but it, you know, there, there's reason for it, obviously, but I think with both Terrell Hatton, who we'll get to, and Webb Simpson, I think the upside is really there. So it's just it's one of those things where I don't want to belabor the ownership thing because we don't need, you know, I think some people get caught up in ownership a little bit too much, especially in like single entry and three max where it might not or cash games where it's not quite as important. But I'm really curious to see the ownership on Webb Simpson. How scared are people of his recent play? versus what his price is, his floor price, because you'll never see a price lower than this for Webb Simpson. I, I'm glad you mentioned Corey Connors, and I've mentioned this a couple of weeks in a row, so I, I won't I, I won't continue, but the, the, I'm fascinated with the way the public is treating Corey Connors right now, and he just continues to pile up like top 15 finishes or top 20 finishes, and the price keeps going down. Nobody seems to really care about it. I don't know. He's just, he's just always around. This seems like a good spot for him, but the one guy that – continues to stand out to me uh, has to be Shane Lowry and he's going to make the trek back from Tokyo uh, as well and he is now on a streak by gaining five and a half strokes on approach last week in Tokyo which was the third best mark of anybody in the field he has now gained strokes on approach in 10 count them 10 consecutive measured events and it's not just a little bit either, see. It's three, four, five over the course of a week. I'm I'm sorry, Shane. I generally don't like you. I generally don't like to play you. You are you're doing good things right now, man. That's I, this is solid. What's interesting though, and I'd love your perspective on this. And I have something along these lines to say about Corey Connors as well. So I'll ask both. So for one, does the off the tee game kind of scare you and the putter? Because you can see, obviously, like he's not exactly finishing high in some of these. You know, he's gaining 
five strokes here, four strokes here, but 22nd, tied for 65th. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm cherry picking a little bit because right before that, tied for six, tied for fourth. But, <laughs> yes. but I'm just saying, like, you know, the approach game is definitely there. But on this course, are you a little bit more worried about the off the tee game? And, and my question for Connors, by the way, is, you know, the short game for Connors is, is pretty problematic. So does that, because he seems to be setting up as a guy that, a lot of people will be on because of the value. And if you can get off of Corey Connors at 8,100 and pivot somewhere else, you might be in really good shape. And I think that short game could get him in trouble. So, so yes, I'm worried about Lowry, but listen, at this price, I'm worried about a lot of guys. Also, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm probably less worried about Connors because I was worried. I, I will tell you, I was worried last week about Connors. I ended up playing him in my core because of this, the two straight events that he lost strokes on approach. And I was like, that's not him. That can't be him. Let's just see what happens. And he looked good in Tokyo, right? This is this is basically the exact metric line that I would want from Corey Connors. Gain two strokes off the tee, gain two strokes on approach, be a positive around the green, and be close to a zero putter. Like that, mm-hmm. that's a very Corey Connors stat line, which makes me more comfortable that we're going to just get vintage Corey Connors most weeks. So I I have less concern about him. But yeah, sure, there are certainly concerns about all these guys. Fair enough. The rest of this $8,000 range, I'm trying to see here. You mentioned, I don't think Patrick Reed is going to be popular. I would agree. He's not playing four weeks in a row with plenty of travel. And the first three weren't particularly great. <laughs> I mean, he finished 22nd at the Olympics. That has to be a disappointment considering uh, his odds, his the caliber of play, uh, his pricing. Finished 34th at the 3M Open and missed the cut at the Open Championship. So I I, I imagine he's not going to be that popular. Um you mentioned answer earlier, right? You yes. said you like answer a lot. And, yeah. and he rates out in my model really well, which I'm not, you know, I, I'm not married to my model, so to speak. So that's just kind of like another sort of piece of evidence that I look at. But speaking of ball strikers, I mean, yeah. you, you don't look now, but I mean, Abraham answer is a really, really good ball striker. And there's really nothing to to really criticize in his game. Obviously, around the green, he's not necessarily great, but everywhere else he really checks out. Yeah, he really does. There's there's a lot of himself put, putting himself in position, giving himself birdie looks. Um, I, I do wonder what his ceiling is, although we've seen him finish inside the top five countless times here recently, but his floor does seem to be a very, very high. The $7,000 range. This is where things start to get really interesting. So Will Zalatoris is back in action. He leads off the $7,000 range. If you remember, he was in that really thick stuff at Royal St. George's. He took a swing, immediately doubles over. He had mentioned it sent, um, I believe he said, shooting pains down his back and leg is the way he described it. And withdrew from the Open Championship, and he hasn't played since. He is back. He leads off the $7,000 range. Sung JM is in this range. Terrell Hatton, we talked about or mentioned earlier, is in this range, and it goes down to Justin Rose and Ian Poulter. Where do you want to start the conversation? Man, pain shooting down his leg from his back. Uh, that's that's not super comforting in terms of no. like wanting to play him. So I guess you'll have to or we'll have to monitor maybe the practice rounds and, and maybe some of the press conferences just to see where we're at with that. But, you know, there's a couple guys that I've been leaning on for quite some time, and that's Jason Kokrak and Harris English. Mm. I, I really, really like those guys. And, and there's another guy I like, and that's Terrell Hatton, who I mentioned. And, and again, when you're talking GPP, you know, Hatton's not a cash game play for me, but when you're talking Talking GPP, you're obviously looking for upside. And for the record, I think Hatton is a great course fit. He just happens to not be playing well. But I like the three of those guys from a value standpoint quite a bit. 
Yeah, let's go through them because I'm I'm definitely with you on English and Hatton. I've got Jason Kokrak up now, and listen, this is fine. This is this is the type of golfer that we would expect Jason Kokrak to be. You generally a pretty good ball striker. He's been one of the best putters on tour this year, so there's nothing out of the ordinary there. The Harris English stuff, um, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting for a lot of reasons. So he is now three consecutive events where he has gained strokes in each and every strokes gained category. That is Harris English, right? I, I laid mm-hmm. out uh, what what Corey Connors did in Tokyo, and I said that was vintage Corey Connors. This is vintage Harris Harris English, and this is the version of him in 2020 where he was constantly contending. He was one of the best strokes gained players. He then finally goes out and wins the the tournament of champions and he falls off a little bit. As soon as he got back to his DNA, he won again. Like as soon as he got back to his DNA. Yeah. And there's no reason to think that he can't contend here. I mean, first of all, he, he won at the travelers and he's been, you know, since he's been back, I mean, us, us open, he finished third. So there's really no, and, and I, Forgive me, I usually have the guys I like that are sort of in this range. I usually have their outright numbers. Maybe Jacob can check and, and tell us later in the show. But I actually think he's a pretty decent outright or or top 10 play. I thought I saw him at 35 to 1 when I was looking earlier. Um, I can pull this up on William Hill as well, but I'm pretty sure he was 35 to 1. Uh, and in Hatton, you, so so – you know, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here with Hatton, but the $7,400 price tag is pretty jarring. And, you know, in the same way that um, uh, Webb Simpson is the lowest he has been or the cheapest he has been in a long time, Terrell Hatton is the same way. So Hatton, the last time he was 7,400, technically the 2020 Players' Championship, that event did not finish. It was the two starts before that at WGC Mexico, he was 7,400. He would go on to finish sixth that week. So this is this is a price we have not seen on Terrell Hatton since – February of 2020. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I can't believe how far he's fallen, but honestly, this price is too low. If I had to reprice Hatton, I would price him at 8,800 because first of all, he hasn't been terrible. Yeah, he right. hasn't been ter- so look, so look, if, if we're we're looking at it now at the Palmetto, he gained 11.75 strokes ball striking. That is an astounding number. I'm sure, Rick, in your database, that's gotta be somewhere. I don't know, maybe top 10, top 20. You tell yeah, me. It's that, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's an absurd number. And so he's yeah. coming off back to back, you know, cuts at, at you know tougher, tougher venues. But I think I think it's the right time to speculate on a guy like that, especially when you've seen it recently. That Terrell Hatton week. Um, well, hold on. I want to do a couple of things first. So the oh, I had something else. Okay, yeah. So so you you mentioned how far he has fallen, which is really only in public sentiment because in mm-hmm. his last five starts, he has two top eight finishes. One of them is that T2 at the Palmetto. That, like, and he made the cut at the PGA Championship. But it's the fact that he missed two cuts at major championships. Like, You know what I actually think happens? So here's, what, here's my guess on what happens here. So DraftKings has really soft pricing for majors, right? Mm-hmm. And he got really soft pricing for the US Open and he missed the cut. So at the P- at the Open Championship, they said, "Okay, what did we have him at at the last major? Let's lower his price." And he misses the cut there. Then they fire up the pricing algorithm or the guy in a spreadsheet this week and says, "Well, missed the cut, I got to lower his price again." And now we're here at like a a very cheap Terrell Hatton when he shouldn't be. And for the record, the cherry on top, if you go to your 
and I'm not asking you to because we already looked at it, but if you go to your course key stats page, guess who was among the top at, on Bermuda? Uh, I would imagine it's Terrell Hatton. I would imagine it's Terrell Hatton as well. Here he is, right there. Uh, Producer Jacob letting us know that it is 45 to 1 at the new, I guess it's called Caesar's Sportsbook now, instead of William Hill. All right. So... I don't know Fancy. if I have to. I don't know if I have to call it that moving forward. But our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook uh, have it at forty-five to one. I think that's the new terminology, and I love that number. <laughs> I, honestly, I think at thirty-five to one, it was somewhat fair, but not great. I think forty-five to one is great. I'm trying to see who else in this range. Um, it, it's kind of an awkward range because if you look at just this last two years where this event has been the short field, no cut. There's not a lot of great success out of these guys. You know, Billy Horschel is the only guy who has finished inside the top 25 both years. There's a lot of guys who haven't played it. There's a lot of guys who have only played it once. There's not a lot of top 25 finishes from 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 any of them. It's it's kind of a little awkward, awkward pricing range, isn't it? It is, but you know, I, I think those. If we're talking about other golfers, I'm not necessarily saying I like these guys, but you know, Sergio, I think is interesting. I think Brian Harmon is always interesting because he's he's mm. a relatively good ball striker. Zalatoris, of course, is going to be at 7,900. I think people are going to look at that and be like, I, I think I might have to have some shares of Zalatoris. As far as Sergio, I mean, I I started the show saying I'm looking for ball strikers, right? So I mean, he would certainly make sense, but. I just don't have faith in the putter with Sergio. I mean, yeah, here, here's the dilemma with Sergio because I had the same I had the same question. He is either. Um, so let's see here. He lost. Oh God, he lost seven point three strokes putting at the three M Open and finished T twenty five, which is which is first of all very impressive. But <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't be a part of this. I can't be a part of this. I can't watch a guy gain seven strokes on approach, gain two off the tee and finish 25th. He was like, he like led the field tee to green and finished 25th. And if it was the only instance of that, you would be like, all right, well, whatever. But like there you, on that page, you could see he's lost six strokes here. He's lost five strokes here putting. It's just a little too much. Now, I mean, obviously he can, he's shown he can gain a couple strokes putting recently, but over four days, it, it, I just... I don't see it. I don't know. Maybe the no cut thing for Sergio, maybe the putting yips or whatever you want to call it sort of gets out of his head because maybe there's a little less pressure days one, two, and three. I don't know. That's, I mean, total narrative building there and it's probably completely inaccurate, but I'm just not, I will have a, a share or two. You know, I, I, let's say I build 20 lineups. I'll probably have one or two that actually have Sergio, but in my big, you know, we talked about the 200 SE, 100 SE, whatever it is. I don't think I'm going to be anywhere near Sergio Garcia. Yeah, he. Uh, I confirmed that he led the field by two and a half strokes, tee to green, at the 3M Open and finished t twenty five. Oh boy, it's not feels impossible. Pretty. It it honestly does feel impossible. Actually, that's <laughs> like that's that's where I say this a lot, and I'm, I'm almost always lying. Where I'm like, oh, I could have done that. Like I could have, I could have made an eight on eighteen to win the event. Like I, I might have, I might have lost less than seven strokes putting. He's the ultimate outlier. Like anytime you're looking at statistical data and you think outliers, like now I just think Sergio Garcia. It just doesn't make any sense. $6,000 range. Um, things start to get a little bit hairy, but there are some guys I'm interested in. There is a Ryan Palmer sighting at 6,500. It starts with Cam Davis and Sam Burns at 69, and it goes down to the men, which is uh, Wade Ormsby, Wilco Ninaver, Robert Streb, and Jim Herman rounding out the men priced golfers. See ya. What do you see? Can we start from the bottom again? Sure. 
Why? Because Listen, there are no rules here. You know, you, you 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 basically italicized the name Jim Herman for no reason other than that he's at the very bottom. Correct. Uh, by the way, he's been playing pretty well. And also, he's an excellent Twitter follower. He's like top three in my book. He might even be passing Max Homo on, on the Twitter following. He's actually... He's okay, he's not that good. He's hilarious. <laughs> he is so beautifully sarcastic. I love uh... So, but here's here's the thing. You're not you're you're not picking him because of Twitter, obviously, or maybe you are. Maybe uh, you are. In, I don't know. In which case, him and Max Homa would be great picks. But he hits fairways for one. Uh, he has a solid long iron game. He's been in the last four tournaments. He's finished within the top thirty, which is impressive for most golfers, let alone somebody who's bottom of the barrel pricing. And he's also gained in ball striking and putting in five tournaments in a row. I mean, what what are we talking here? Yeah, this is actually. Um... It's actually pretty good to see it. So when you said Rafael Campos last week, I was like, no, I can't get there. Yeah, but here we go. We've that. got – that's okay. We've got another <laughs> min price guy that uh, – now this looks a lot better. Now, if you remember, Herman was the guy who missed like 30 cuts in a row and then won. And uh, that is not really what we're seeing right now. Four consecutive top 30 finishes. The advanced metrics all look pretty strong. Off the tee approach, putting, he's pretty bad around the greens, but so are a lot of guys. He's the min price. This I like a lot more than Rafael Campos. This yeah, one makes – this is this is pretty good, actually. I like well, in, you know, this date is pretty recent, whereas in the Rafael Campos argument, I, I had to sort of go off the chart a little bit to find something I liked. Again, even if you didn't look at the metrics, and it, this is almost the Vincent – I guess, was it Vincent Whaley from a couple months ago where he was, yeah. you know, 6,400 and 6,200 and whatever. Just looking at sort of the Vincent Whaley part of the argument, where, where if you remember back then, before he made like nine cuts in a row, it was like four or five cuts in a row. It's like, just looking at that, you're like, all right, well, that's pretty impressive. But then you actually look at the metrics and the metrics check out as well. I mean, if I'm, if I don't know this guy's name is Jim Herman, I'm just looking at the top 30s, the ball striking and the putting and the relative lack of a short game. I'm thinking, all right, this guy's this guy's price is probably 7,100. I don't know, 6,700. But his name's Jim Herman, and it's just one of those things where he's 6,000. But that's that's an underprice. Yeah, you can actually see like the visual uptick of his strokes gained in here at the end here in the last couple of months. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, which made me think, if we were making an all Twitter team and we started with Homa and Hermy, uh, first of all, we'd have a ton of money left over. Who else would be on this team? None of these guys at the top are all that good at Twitter. I guess Brooks, well, Brooks would Brooks. be in there. Okay. Yeah, Brooks has got to be in there. Uh, do you get Patrick Reed and his orbit or just Patrick Reed? Because Patrick Reed's just... Twitter is not so great, but his orbit's much better. No, I don't think you can go orbit there. I think okay. you're just getting Patrick Reed, unfortunately. I think you just get Patrick Reed's verified Twitter and not any other account that's also verified <laughs> that's also on the same topic. Then I don't want it. I don't want Patrick Reed's verified Twitter account. You could go Brooks Bryson. Bryson at least pumps Ooh. a lot of content. Uh, mm -hmm. Brooks Bryson, Homa, Hermie. So we need somebody down here. Are any of these guys any good at Twitter? Is Ian Poulter? On the oh, yeah, he's on there. Ian, Ian Poulter. Poulter. Flat 7,000. I haven't done the math yet. He's very good, but that lead, we probably have a lot of money left. I mean, Cam Smith, just by virtue of the mullet pictures or no? And the, his wife hates it. <sighs> no, probably not. I mean, maybe the rest of these guys, I don't even know if, how much they even tweet. I'm reaching. That's limited upside with the Jacob. Thing. Jacob, give us a sixth guy here, and somebody will play this and probably win all the money. <laughs> oh, this Kisner? is Kisner. Yeah, I was thinking I mean, Kisner. We'd leave a lot of. We'd leave a lot on the table, but Kisner could be that guy. Possibly Bubba. How? What? What's Bubba priced at? He's uh, not. He's not in this. Field. Not in the field. Uh, <laughs> that would be good, though. Oh, would be good. Phil. Yeah. Oh, Phil. Ooh, Phil. Phil for so sure. Sixty-six. Yeah, it has to be Phil. 
There you go. Somebody play that, win the money, and um, send us our shares. Okay, the rest of the $6,000 range. Speaking of Homa, I was pretty intrigued by Homa. Again, mm-hmm. this is this is the range you are – I mean, you're, you're doing a little like trying to be early, like trying to be Cam Champ early, right? You're just trying to find somebody who um, might be laying the blueprint. I think it might be Homa. So five straight events, he's gained strokes off the tee. He's been okay on approach. He has been horrible in the short game. Now, he actually told us that when he came on the first cut. Uh, I think it would have been before U.S. Open. And he was like, yeah, I'm working really hard. I've been I've been hemorrhaging strokes. Yeah, he has. Seems to have fixed the short game. The putter, I worry about. But at least with him, see, we talk about this all the time. The ability to gain six and a half strokes putting or five strokes putting in a single week is special and not a lot of guys can do it. This this is the type of map that I would want to see for someone I'm trying to get early on. I agree. I love the upside. I will I will point out though, if you're looking at the quote anti Bermuda specialist, unfortunately yeah. he is on that list. So it's probably less likely for him to gain a ton. That's not impossible, obviously. I just probably a little less likely for him to gain a bunch of strokes like you see those pops in, in the tur- two tournaments you pointed out. But yeah, I mean Homa's on my list of guys that I think has the upside. I mean he he doesn't feel like a, a golfer, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I think Carlos Ortiz is interesting too. I, I think, again, one thing you have to consider, I mean, this is a really obvious point. And I, I would say it in the same vein as like a Ryan Palmer or even a Stuart Sink. And I do like Stuart Sink quite a bit is you're not, these guys aren't going to miss the cut. So, you, you know, you're looking for that upside. That's going to get you maybe like three really good days and maybe one really bad one, which is why a lot of these guys are in play. But I, yeah, I, I was wondering what happened to Carlos Ortiz on Sunday in Tokyo because he was in that thing. So I'm, I'm just looking it up now. He lost 9.6 strokes on Sunday, lost in everything across the board. He's basically like Sam Burns, right? Remember when Sam Burns would have three great rounds and then he'd, he'd blow up one. So outs- I mean, he was great outside of Sunday in Tokyo. That's alarming. Uh, I hadn't seen the round four stats until, you know, looking at it just now. That almost like screams to me like heat exhaustion or something. And that's super speculative. But like, I, I don't know how you go from, you know, gaining strokes in a pretty significant way the first couple of rounds to losing almost 10. That's that's interesting. Nine points. That is it really is. Um, you wonder what happened because he lost across the board. It wasn't one thing. It's by far the worst round I have him on him in, in my database, which for him is probably his entire career. Um, that's interesting. I don't know what happened there. To lose 9.6 is, is quite a lot. We'll see. Yeah. Let's see. Anybody else um, in this range? So I mentioned Stuart Sink. I'd love to get your thoughts on him. I mean, he, he hasn't really been great lately. And a lot of that, though, is a rough patch with the putter. So the ball striking has still been pretty good. I mean, it's not been great. It hasn't been consistent, but that's why he's 6,500, right? At the Travelers, he gained over 9.4 strokes uh, ball striking. I think there's something to be said for that. And again, 6,500, it's it's a nice price for a guy who's won this year a couple of times. A couple of times, yeah. And he's 21st on tour in strokes gained approach, which is always something you want to see here. And where he won is... I don't want to say it's a close comp because Harbortown is uh, it's not, but like the small green aspect of it, I, I think is kind of interesting. And I, I do think it's a thing. I think that when these guys look at, uh, look at their shot and they just see a little postage stamp up there, it, it it's a bit of a mental battle as much as it is a physical one. So I certainly don't mind that. Uh, but no, I mean, he's a, he's a ball striking maven and we haven't seen him since the three I'm open. So he's had what a week or two to kind of, kind of get get right and bermuda is 
I mean, he's very bad on bent grass greens. He's bad on POA. Bermuda's his best surface. He's not awesome on it, but it is his best putting surface. Rick, I got to ask you, because the, we've talked about these guys a lot lately, and you were on the Cam Davis train before most. Mm. Uh, Matthew Wolf and Cam Davis, mm. uh, any interest there? Unfortunately, probably not. I think that there are, uh, for Cam Davis, there are some very specific courses. Um, I think that the result at 3M, a 28th place finish, you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense around TPC Twin Cities. The Rocket Mortgage stuff around Detroit Golf Club, I mean, literally, I couldn't have picked a better course for him. I'm not sure this is it. I think you've got to be a little bit better in terms of playing out of the fairway for Cam Davis. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope, and I hope he breaks that narrative. And I hope that he's just like, I, I don't need to do that. Or I can start hitting more fairways, but I'm worried about that. And then Matthew Wolf admittedly, and we were talking about this before we went hot. I don't know what to do with him. And I'm not sure anybody knows what to do. The fact that he's 6,800 and he is, his price is being bounced around, not only on DraftKings but over at Caesars Sportsbook. I mean, we, no one knows what to do with him. And I and I am certainly in that camp. You know, here's his here's his four starts since the U.S. Open. Gained four and a half strokes off the tee. That's the version we want to see. Loses off the tee at the Travelers. A small winner at the Rocket Mortgage. Horrible at the 3M. I mean, this is this is his weapon. And I think it's really really concerning when he has one good driving week since last October. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it is, right? Yeah, when you put it like that, uh, I totally agree. The only argument for him right now is, well, maybe he finds it and he doesn't. He's not getting cut. So, but again, yeah. you, you know, you don't have a lot of par fives here, right, Rick? I mean, there's not going to be a lot. This is a tough course. You're not going to have a lot of eagle opportunities. You're not going to his. I don't think his length. Of course, it's an advantage, but I don't think it's a huge advantage. And that's why you know now that I think about it, I don't think he has sort of the the upside that that maybe people think. Yeah, this this to me is just red flags blaring when when a guy who is literally the best driver of the golf ball on tour or top three is losing multiple strokes a week off the tee for that long of a time. I'm I'm worried about that. Unfortunately. Can, Rick, can I ask you one more favor before we leave this ring? Sure. As president of the Ryan Palmer <laughs> fan club, I feel yeah. like I need to see his ball striking as well. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Mr. Palmer, please. All right. Ryan Palmer. Uh, we don't have, so the, the advanced metrics do not exist from the open championship. He missed the cut at the U S open. He missed the cup, but he gained two and a half strokes on approach in two rounds. That's pretty good. It's a little hairy on approach after that, but he's been driving it well. Yeah. Very interesting. I think he's a guy to, to potentially speculate on him. Cause I think the ownership will be very yeah. low. Yeah. He has been, uh, you can see dropping like a rock. Is that phrase dropping like a rock? I think that's it. Dropping like a brick, something like that. But yes, he was, you know, 15%, 15, 15 drop. Sorry. Stone. Stone. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's it. I feel like it's rock. I think it's Nailed rock it. too. All right. Two versus one. Um, 15%, 15% down to seven, eight, eight. He was 4% owned at the open championship. So yes, I do not think sentiment very high on Mr. Palmer at the moment. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's seeing a shot. This has been your DFS preview for this week's WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. We will be back on Tuesday with a mega preview pod. 
Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you, Producer Jacob. Also, Sian Ajad is available on Twitter for all your bad beats and hot takes. DM him. Send them directly to at Najad. He loves them. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.